We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It probably won't be a surprise to you that the young um, Albert Einstein was intrigued by physics when he was very young. And he tells the story that when he was uh, a teenager, that he had this dream. And the dream he had as a teenager was that he was going down a mountain on a sled and the sled kept getting faster and faster and faster until it approached the speed of light. And the stars began to shine with a spectrum of colors. And he knew that he had to figure out more of what that was about. Later in life, he would say that his whole scientific career was a meditation on that dream. Dreams are really, really powerful. And we heard in our first reading today, one of the most famous dreams, the one that Jacob has about this ladder that we'll talk about. Um, and in it, we hear that Jacob encounters the divine. And I think there are many times when people would say they've encountered something of the divine in a dream. Today, what I'd like to do with this, I'd like to focus in on this passage and talk about this dream. And if you've seen, I've titled today's sermon, The Rebel and the Stairway to Heaven. And I want to talk about both of those for a minute. Starting out first with the rebel, because Jacob is obviously the rebel. And if you follow Jacob and you go back and read about Jacob in Genesis, you'll see that he's, he does some sort of, no, no, full on, full on shady things. He does some shady things. He takes his brother's birthright by getting him when he's hungry and down and gives him a bowl of soup to get it. And then later on, he just completely is a trickster to get his dad's blessing. If you remember how that story is, how he, you know, his, he was not a very hairy guy, but his brother was big, brawny, hairy. And so he puts on the skins on his arms and does all this stuff to come in and trick his dad. Who's lost his vision. And he gets the blessing meant for Esau. He gets it. And we don't get all the passages today, but there's a lot of angst and trouble going on in this family and this, and this homestead with what's gone on. And I mean, clearly Isaac and Esau are very upset with him to say the least. And thank goodness for mothers because Rebecca doesn't give up on her son. In fact, she's, all right, she's been a little complicit along the way as well, but she, she's all in with her son, helping him, supporting him, encouraging him. And she is able to kind of help turn things with Isaac with, with um, Jacob's dad. And she's kind of, you know, you can imagine how, what she's saying to him. Like, this is, okay, this is water under the bridge. You've already given him the blessing. Let's make the best of it now. How do we help him flourish? How do we help this lineage keep going? How do we help him to succeed and keep going? And it's like, well, we need to secure his line. We need to help him find um, a spouse and I can imagine she's all in on this. She's, and we don't want any of those trashy Hittite women like Esau has. <laughs> let's send him, let's send him back to where my family's from. Let's actually, why don't we send him back to my brother, Laban, and he can marry in that family. We're going to keep this thing closed. This might've been the original Arkansas. No, 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 sorry. If you're from there, I'm sorry. Sorry. That was a bad joke. If you're from there, it's, it's just a joke. But he's, they, so he comes to this place where that's what's going on. And the idea is we're going to let's send him there. And she's like, give him a blessing on his travel and send him on his way. And I imagine his dad, Isaac, at this point gets to a place where he's like, okay, what's going on? What God has done, this promise that was given to my dad 
Abraham. It's been given to me. This is all bigger than me. It's bigger than my hurt feelings. It's bigger than what, what all these things that have happened with me being tricked and being played and all this other stuff. I'm going to put that behind me and give him a, a this is the first time he's going to get a legit blessing. And he gets it. And this, through all of this stuff that's happened and through this now, he gets this, um, this blessing, this continuity that's going on through him. And Jacob gets it. And he heads out on this journey to where he's going to go to Rebecca's brother. And as he heads out, this is where he's going to have this dream. So kind of hold things there for a second. And when we talk about dreams in the Bible, I mean, they're always powerful. They're usually places where people get a message from God, either an answered prayer or direction or some way of something they're processing coming to a conclusion, but they hear some, something of God's voice in it. And Jacob on this day is traveling really light. He's not setting up a big tent with his entourage. He's like going light. And the, the, you know, of course, the context behind that is he's looking over his shoulder because he's worried that Esau's chasing him and that Esau's out to kill him. And so he's traveling light. I imagine he's eating with no fire and he's no tent. He's like really on the low getting out of this place. And he comes to this place where he's in the desert and it's, it's bedtime, the sun's setting, and he puts down a rock for a pillow and he goes to sleep and he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees these angels coming up and down on something. Maybe it's a ladder. Maybe it's a stairway. Maybe it's a ramp. It's, it's a one word. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's like, um, like Nate probably is, but I, he reads his Bible in Hebrew, I think. But, um, but it's, this, it's this word used once that means something vertical. It's something vertical that's happening here. That's what we know. But, but he sees these angels coming up and down. And the scholars who look at this say, they say in part, well, maybe what's happening here, maybe, is that God is showing him what goes on every day with each of us. That like the curtain's being pulled back for a moment just to see this activity going on between heaven and earth that's happening everywhere for everybody. But he gets to see it for himself. I don't know. That's a bit of speculation in that. But this is what he sees. And pause here for a moment um, to think about who's going up and down for a second. We have these angels. And as Nate said at the start of the service, the, the, today's the Feast of St. Michael. The reason we have this reading today, which is not part of the normal lectionary we've been going through on Sundays, it's because this is actually the reading for the feast day of St. Michael, which is on Thursday. But because it's our patron saint, we, get, we move these readings to Sunday. So we're talking about this. So they give us this reading so that if we want, we can talk about angels. So I'm going to give a little commercial break here for a second and just say something about that. So we, we look at how angels are treated in scripture. They're always going to be servants and messengers. That's what they are. And in the, if you go read the Bible cover to cover, looking at how angels are treated in the Bible, there are only two that are mentioned by name, um, Gabriel and Michael. And Michael is this one that the Jewish literature has as sort of the, the high prince of the angels. And he is the one who is, uh, his name means who is like our God. That's what the, na the name Michael means, who's like our God. And there are four different passages of scripture that talk about uh, Michael. The most famous by far is the last one, which is in the book of Revelation. And it's where there's this battle taking place 
where Michael is the head warrior angel that goes after the serpent dragon and defeats him and all this stuff that goes on with that. And you'll hear that in just a little bit because as part of the Feast of St. Michael, the band is going to do the ballad of St. Michael during the offertory. So you can go back and you'll hear that story being told. But that's the one that literature and art hangs on to. And I think it's interesting when you go back and look at the history of St. Michael that early on in the church, we have all these patron saints and all this. Um, He was not the patron saint of war and soldiers, which I would thought he would have been. But he actually, I think they already had lots of people doing that. He's the patron saint of the sick. But having said that, because of this Revelations passage and all this, he is portrayed again and again as the warrior angel. And if you walk down our hallway, the first time I'm sure you'll notice it, that there, there are more than one image um, of Michael with his big sword out, which always makes me laugh because we're like, come kids and hear about love and peace. Oh, and <laughs> just keep walking by, teach him early that life is complex because he's, he's out there in the hallway with his big sword out. Um, but, but we get that. So anyway, that's my commercial break. We get this image of whatever this thing is vertical. The angels are coming up and down and that's a big piece of what really is grabbing Jacob's attention. But then it gets bigger, right? Because then we hear that in this dream, he encounters God. And again, there's some Hebrew ambiguity about whether he's over Jacob, over the ladder, wherever it is, I don't, whatever it is, he encounters God. He's encountering the divine. And, you know, Jacob at this point maybe has a little bit of a distant relationship with God because if you go back and again, you read passages before this in Genesis, you'll see where Jacob is talking about God to Isaac, his dad. He says something about your God. It's not my God, it's your God. And so maybe that's part of the reason, maybe why when this whole thing starts, why it is that God starts out by saying, yeah, I'm the Lord. I think it's both telling him who I am, but it's also telling him I've got this authority. Like, let's be clear who's, who this is. And then he goes on to tell him all these great things, all these promises, like you're going to be protected. You are going to flourish. Your offspring are going to be like the dust of the earth. They're going to be that numerous. You, you're, off, you're going to bless the entire earth. You know, and later on, of course, Christians will say that's because Jesus' lineage comes out of this. All these different, he says, you're going to have all this. You're going to have this land. This is going to be your land. All these different things. And you'll get real quickly that this is the exact promise that was given to Abraham, his grandfather, and to Isaac, his dad. And now it's being given to him in this dream. And he gets it. And he wakes up and he's like, wow, that's awesome. God is in this place. This is amazing. This is God's house. This is the gate to heaven. And he's like, he's going to make one of these memorials that they did in ancient times where he's going to stack up all these rocks. He's going to pour oil on it. He's going to say, this is a place we need to remember and keep up with. And he's going to name it Bethel, house of God. And you're going to hear going through the pages of scripture from there on, you're going to hear the word Bethel again and again, that this is the significant place. This is it. But I think here we do well to stop and really pay attention to what happens because if we ended the story there, we're going to miss out because it's, it's a bit of a turn to see what happens next with Jacob, the rebel, because he, he's encountered the divine as we read. And you think at this moment, he's going to immediately be all in. He's encountered God. He's going to be all in, but that's not exactly what happens, right? Because we get this passage where he says, well, you know, if God will give me food 
if God will protect me, if God will bring me back to my homeland, if God will do all this stuff, then he'll be my God. And you're like, how did he not go full into this thing after he's encountered that? Why didn't he just say, this is my God? He says, well, this is a special place. We're going to mark it. We're going to do all this. I'm going to come back here and give a tenth. But he's not all in. Like he's like, he's laying out his conditions for God. You want to be my God? Here's my contract with you. Here's the things I need. Here's the things I want. Which is in contrast to his grandfather, Abraham, who is the one who gets the call to go and he goes. He drops all his family heritage where he was and heads off to a strange land because he's encountered God. And I think when we look at that sometimes, if we're having a holy moment, we think, I'm going to be more like Abraham than more like Jacob, who's kind of still in this halfway. And I think, at least for me, I don't know how you are, but I still think if I encounter God like full on, I'm going to the next level immediately, like all in. Like I think sometimes about Paul, if Paul gets knocked off his horse and on the ground and has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, easy for him. Yeah, it's easy to be persecuted and go build churches and do all the stuff we read about in Acts because he's had this face-to-face encounter with God, with Jesus who tells him, why are you persecuting me? And transforms him and does all this immediately. But that doesn't happen to Jacob. And maybe to be fair, we ought to go back and look at this a little more closely and look at it. Because when we read this passage, it's not that we hear that God caused him to have this dream. We don't hear that God came to him in his, with immediate presence. What this passage starts with is he had a dream, just like you have a dream last night, whatever it is. And so he's got to wake up and interpret the dream. He's got like, did that really happen? Was that just, did I just have a bad burrito or a, (laughs) did someone put mushrooms in my grape leaves? I don't know what he would say there. Did that happen? Like, what is that? And then we have to think about how he's going to interpret that with his and we all do, all of us encounter some revelation of God. We're going to filter it through our own personalities, our own experiences, our own hopes and dreams, all the stuff that make us up the way we've been made. We're going to interpret whatever sense of revelation we get from God with that. And I imagine Jacob has got this huge need to be secure and all of this, and that's how he's interpreting this encounter, this dream that seems so, it's so real that the first thing he got up And he's just like, God's in this place. But he's still ultimately filtering it through who he is. And I think if we don't don't stop on this part of the story, we miss a lot of this story. Because we get this this moment where we, we understand that God is working with somebody who is maybe a little bit more like we are. Who is, this is a guy you might call a scoundrel. This is a guy that's manipulated, who's been selfish, who's done all these things and God encounters him and God is going to bless him and use him and give him these promises and goes on to do all that. And for us, for me, when I think about being selfish, self-centered, needing to have security and all these other things and that God still calls me to do things, I think about Jacob and we have a role model for this. God calls and blesses and uses people that are broken who don't have it right. And when you have the courage to hear God's voice speaking to you, and I believe he speaks to everyone, that we may be tempted to say, well, that cannot be me because I'm too broken. I'm too selfish. I'm too this or that. 
I think we ought to hold up Jacob as the patron saint of broken people in ministry because that's what he is. And the, we may, it may be true that we're disappointing God because we show up less than all in as Jacob did. But the bigger truth is that God already knows that. He already knew that about Jacob and he still calls him and he still uses him and he still blesses him and all of this. And, and that's not an excuse for us to rest in some place and not be looking for more light and love in our lives, more peace, more shalom in our lives. It's not that, but it's, but it's, it's recognition that God will use us as we are, as we come. And, it's, and there's no secrets from God. He knows your brokenness. He knows the bits of you that are Jacob more than Abraham. He knows all that and he loves you like crazy. That's the heart of grace. That is the heart of grace. So we think back about on this day about how Jacob is the rebel, maybe the scoundrel, but God appears to him and God not only appears to him, but he embraces him and he calls him and he blesses him. And God is doing that exact same thing for us. In the midst of our brokenness, wherever we are, the stuff we've been through, God is still calling you in love and still wants to use you to bless others and to encourage others and help people to experience God's love. And our deal is just to receive the grace. We don't deserve it. Receive the grace and work with what we got and know that God already knows that. He'll meet us where we are and he'll work with right where we are. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us so much and you created us in love. You've called us as your people. You've called us to be people who serve you in sharing your goodness. And you do that even though you know all the, the ugly bits about us, all the halfway things about us. You still meet us there and you call us. We thank you for that. Help us receive that grace and to worship you and to love you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.